Hello, Marjorie, Arnie, and Jacob. I want to play a game. You have reviewed many movies in your life, but with the release of Saw 6, I have a new test for you. You have to watch and review all of the movies in the Saw series. We need to talk. We need to think. But be warned. These reviews will be filled with spoilers, and the language used will offend some people. But this is your task. Live or die. Make your choice. Here to discuss Saw 5, starring Tobin Bell, Julie Benz, Megan Good, Costas Mandalore, and Scott Peterson, directed by David Hackle. I'm Arnie, host of Now Playing. This is Jacob. And this is Marjorie. And we're here at the fifth installment in the Saw series. We have a new director this time. The past three had all been directed by Darren Lynn Boozman, and now we've got David Hackle taking the reins, but the same script writers. And right away, we jump into the gore. Now, again, I don't know which version you saw, Jacob. We saw the unrated one, and we see a guy getting in a pit in the pendulum type trap with the pendulum coming down, and my God, the intestines were a flying. Yeah, I saw the unrated one as well, and I and I thought, thank God we're finally getting a death that is more painful than if the person tried to live. That's been one of my constant complaints is that the deaths have always been quicker. And finally, after five of these, we get a a painful death. But what's ironic about it is he should have lived because the thing he had to do was get his hands mangled. And that isn't so painful compared to cutting off your own foot, for example. And he did that and still the pendulum kept it coming. Yeah. And, you know, I felt that was kind of what was it? Number three, where we get that twist where Jigsaw setting up traps that they can't get out of. So, man, are we retreading that already? My problem with this one was this is the one where I really started to get really, 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 really confused as to what the hell is going on. It just seemed to jump all over the place. And as we get into this more, I have many points of confusion in this movie. The other thing I got to wonder, and, you know, obviously the news of the Jigsaw Killer is getting out. I would have to think. Do people, I don't know, do they just trust a serial killer that they'll go for whatever, you know, trap that he set up, stick your hands in these vice grips and have your hand smashed and you'll let be let go. I mean, we find out there's a twist to this opening kill, but that that's I, one thing that just popped into my mind. If I wake up and, you know, I, I'm strapped down in this dirty, filthy room and some weird puppet's talking to me on a, on a TV, I figure I'm, I'm just as good as gone. Unless somehow, you know, are there PSAs going out? <laughs> hey, if you wake up in a room, just just do what the tape says. You'll you'll live if you get if you follow the tape. The I, more you know. <laughs> I did find it kind of weird that they were like, oh, no, we have to do what he says. And it's almost like he's an urban legend status. Yeah, at this point, some of the word has to have gotten out. But I do agree with Jacob that it's it's very convincing, though, if you're strapped down to a table and there's a giant saw blade coming at you. You know, it doesn't really matter if you believe him or not. You try to get out. You can't get out. What do you have to lose? The You know, the only thing you can save is your life by losing your hands. I mean, if that thing's coming for you. Yeah, I, I, I guess. I just... What's your other I, option? Hope that the pendulum gets stuck? I, You know, I, I figure you got like 60 seconds of life left. Uh, think pleasant thoughts and, and go out with a bang. 
oh god, can you imagine this town's college hazing where they take the pledges and they put a bag over their head and they wake up in this room and it, they crush their hands and then the people come in, fooled you! <laughs> Yeah, this is a very demented town wherever this is taking place in. Yeah, they leave it intentionally nondescript where you can't even place a region, I don't think. So then after the pendulum, we jump back and we're re-seeing the end of part four with Strom and Jeff and Jeff getting shot again. So really it's the end of four and only minutes after the end of three. They must be saving a lot of money on refilming because they're just using all their old movies to fill in like half of the movie. And this is where I start to get really, really confused. And then Strom finds a tape in there. And this is where my confusion of this movie begins because he's told to not proceed. This room can be your sanctuary or it will be your grave. Is finding my body enough or will your quest for the truth force you to delve even deeper? What kind of a challenge is that? It's basically saying, don't look for the man behind the curtain. Well, here's my problem with it. Here's that the Strom is from the FBI. They've studied the jigsaw killer. They know his methods. They should know all his wordplay by now. You hear that and you know you just stay in the room. I mean, do, do they learn nothing from however many deaths they've they've uh, checked out before? I mean, if I hear a tape, if I'm, I'm with the FBI and I've studied this guy and I hear a tape, stay in the room and you'll be okay. I'm going to stay in the room. I mean, we got, what, three or four bodies in there already. You might want to protect some of that evidence. I don't think that they're sending the top-notch agents to go ahead and investigate this, though. Well, I guess Agent Dale Cooper and Agent Fox Mulder were busy investigating other things. So they got Agent Strom and Perez. First of all, they only sent two. One of them was allegedly killed, and here we've got Strom, who seems incredibly useless. Yeah, they should have... Where's the profilers? Where are the crime scene technicians? This is all very... These people have never watched CSI, I guess. I've never watched CSI. I haven't either. I know what to do. Uh, It just, it drives me crazy. There's just, I would like some logic. I understand the point of these movies are to watch people get their digits cut off in unsavory ways. But I would like a little bit of logic every once in a while. It would really help me maybe start to enjoy these films. We find out at the end of four that Hoffman had become the new Jigsaw. So in this one, Hoffman is setting up all of the traps, I think. Yeah, (laughs) maybe. (laughs) Well, and I got a problem with, you know, again, going with this logic thing. So Strom goes out the door looking for this killer because Jigsaw's body isn't enough. There's obviously someone else in Strom's mind. And we see Hoffman go through the trouble of drugging, jumping out in a pig mask to drug Strom and put him in some other test. This is like a test within a test. If if his test was to just stay in the room, shouldn't he just die? Shouldn't Hoffman just have shot the guy? I mean, why is there just another test now? Now we get Strom waking up in this water trap. Well, if he shot him, then there'd be the situation of forensics and caliber, whereas if it's in a water trap, it at least points fingers at Jigsaw, which had worked for Hoffman so far. But what I don't get is, had Strom stayed in the room, was Hoffman going to let him go? Because Hoffman, we find out, is murdering people much like Amanda was doing. The Pendulum guy had killed Hoffman's sister, and so even though Pendulum guy did what he was supposed to do, Hoffman still let him die. And now Strom has been investigating the jigsaw thing and Hoffman wants Strom dead. If Strom had just stayed in the room, wasn't Hoffman still going to come in there and drug him? Only if he had some other cassette tape to play and some other test to put him through. 
I would have to imagine. I, and, and that's what hurts this is now it becomes a movie about Hoffman trying to cover up the fact that he's Jigsaw. You know, you, you get this line in the movie where Hoffman's ticked off at Strom because Hoffman wanted all the glory of saving this little girl. But there was another survivor, Strom, and somehow there's jealousy. I don't know. It's just a big mess to me. There's a lot of internal issues with those two guys. It's almost like they were school rivals or something because they're Hoffman's hatred of Strom. Yes, I know he's figuring out Hoffman is the one. However, it just seems very ill-directed, I guess. And yes, as Jacob mentioned, the girl from part three finally escapes. That had been one of the many plot threads left dangling in part three. I was happy to see that finally resolved, although it was kind of anticlimactic. I had forgotten all about her because this is such a mind warp. Yeah, I was really surprised when he showed up with her. I'm like, oh, the girl's still alive. Yay. Yeah. Her mom's dead. Her dad's dead. But... Have fun in the uh, orphanage system. You know, you know how those step parents are. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Agent Perez will adopt her. Perez is dead. Oh, yeah. And the test Strom gets, his head is in a box filling with water. And he's got like a collar around his neck. I was wondering why he couldn't just use one of his free hands because he had two free hands to kind of stick his hand up there in the gasket that was holding his head in that little box and he could leak some of that water out. The box wasn't airtight anyway. Water was leaking out of all the corners. However, I really think that he probably could have stuck his... A finger in each side and drained a lot of the water out. Now he'd probably just sit there and do that for a long time. But I actually thought he was going to start drinking the water. Uh, I don't know if you heard about <laughs> there's this uh, radio uh, show. I, b- I believe it was out here in California where they had something called like Don't Wee e for a Wee. And there's three contestants and they had to keep drinking water. And the last one to pee won a Wee. This is back when the Wees were hard to find. Uh-huh. And didn't one of them die of water poisoning? Yeah. And the second one died of water poisoning. <laughs> So I'm like, I'm like, maybe I thought that's what might happen here is he's going to drink a bunch of water and die of water poisoning. <laughs> that is one of the slowest jigsaw traps ever. That'd be like making him eat lots of summer sausage and fatty ribeyes or something, hoping he gets artery disease or something. And well, eventually he's going to have a heart attack. Or my thinking from part one that you... With Adam smoking. <laughs> that, that's what I was thinking. It's slow deaths. I mean, we got the quick deaths, the gruesome deaths, and now the slow deaths. But instead, fortunately, he happens to have a ballpoint pen and does a self-tracheotomy. Now, this is something I'd seen done on ER multiple times. You have the ballpoint pen, you stick it in the neck. That said, first of all, it is such a wonderful coincidence. He just happened to have a ballpoint pen. Don't you think that Jigsaw or faux Jigsaw actually searches the pockets on these people? Well, he took away the gun because obviously he could have blown a hole in the That'd take a big risk shooting it in your head. Versus stabbing yourself in the throat with a dull pen. That that was pretty brutal, I thought. That that actually got a jump out of me when he did that. The worst part for me is, if I were trying to do a self-tracheotomy, I would not hit the windpipe first try. Oh god, no, I'd hit my jugular. Absolutely. Then I have a whole other problem. <laughs> and then it, the true test would be how many times can I stab myself in the neck going for the air pipe? <laughs> and how much force do you need to get in that air pipe? And what if you go too hard? What if- well, look, Strom, he didn't pay attention during profiling jigsaw class, but he paid <laughs> attention during anatomy. <laughs> so Hoffman is the hero who rescued the girl. He gets a promotion and given congratulations for all his hard work on the Jigsaw case, and I'm sitting there going, even if he wasn't Jigsaw's apprentice, even if he was legitimately a cop, exactly what did he do? He was tied up, (laughs) 
almost electrocuted, said the chair happened to break, and walked out the only survivor except for the girl. Everybody else had killed everybody else. Hoffman was, at best, a bystander, and yet he gets a promotion for it. But they don't know. But his story was he was tied to a chair. They all know he was a captive because when Riggs in the last one was going through everything, they knew Hoffman was one of the prisoners. This town obviously has very low standards. We've seen how people live with poo crusted to their walls. (laughs) Merely surviving is an opportunity for advancement in this police department. Very, very low standards. And yet Strom is pulled off the case. He also survived. He had a much harder time of surviving. Had to do that self-tracheotomy. Did you love his stereotypical boss? The stereotypical grouchy police captain, FBI, lead, whatever they're called. Yes, Agent Erickson. Mm -hmm. He is playing that role that you see in every movie, Lethal Weapon, and parodied very well in Last Action Hero, where he's, you're too it, you're in too deep, you're off the case. Yeah, that's. I thought it was very routine as far as Hollywood goes. I think Eddie Murphy had him as a boss in Beverly Hills Cop. But yet, while this was going on, while they, Strom had to take time off, they didn't reassign any more agents. Erickson kind of took it over and was led around like an idiot. Well, why would they reassign an agent to a case? Jigsaw's dead. Supposedly, it's over. True. Yeah, because obviously, you know, they're very thorough with their work. We've seen that where uh, in part two, oh, we went to the wrong house. Well, let's go home. <laughs> I mean, very thorough FBI and police agency here. Just, oh, here's a body. That's it. But then Hoffman gets a note and it. he opens it up and it's, I know what you did last summer. I'm sorry. Sorry. Wrong movie. It's, <laughs> I know who you are. <laughs> so... Who's fucking with Jigsaw now that Jigsaw's dead and Hoffman's the new Jigsaw? Who's leaving this I-know-who-you-are note? It's not Strom, is it? Because at this point in the movie, Strom still, he may suspect, but he doesn't know. Not enough to the point of being leaving I-know-who-you-are notes around. Well, I think that's where Jigsaw's ex-wife Jill comes in. Because we find out that there is a will and there's a mysterious box. Of course, we're not showing the contents. That's probably for uh, Saw 23, (laughs) where we'll actually find out what's in the box. But I just assumed there was something in there. Because what I found interesting, at the end of 4, my my question was, once you find out Hoffman's one of Jigsaw's followers, and Jigsaw says, you know, you thought it was over, but there's another test. Kind of telling Hoffman that you're not out of, if you want it out, well, guess what? You're not out of being the Jigsaw killer. And, and that was one of my big questions is Hoffman, was he blackmailed into this? Does he actually enjoy doing these traps? And from that scene, uh, you know, I, I know who you are. I, I really got this feeling that maybe he's being blackmailed into this. He doesn't really want to do it. And that is actually the plot of this movie. This entire movie exists to explain the what the fuck from part four, <laughs> where you're like, it was Hoffman? And that was such a cheat, because you had no reason to suspect Hoffman. You don't even know who the hell Hoffman is. He, like, had one line in three, and all of a sudden in part four, he's the villain. And I, if you remember our last discussion, was really pissed off. I'm like, why? This entire movie exists to answer that question from the last movie. Is this well-plotted structure to keep me in suspense for that whole year till I can find out? Or is it just, at the end, the audience kept shouting, what the hell, and they decided the next movie should explain themselves? 
Yeah, like like we talked about last time, they're doing some weird serial movie thing where it might work with the television show where you only have to wait seven days in between. When when you're waiting a year in between, uh, it just doesn't work. Well, what I have to wonder, I know these movies were all written by the same person, but to the listeners who listened to our Halloween retrospective, in Halloween 5, they inserted this weird man in black, and the writers came out years later and said, yeah, we had no clue what the man in black was. We were just leaving a dangling thing for a sequel. (laughs) And the people who wrote part 6 were like, well, shit, now we have to figure out who this man in black is. So when they were writing part 4, did they already have in mind all of Hoffman's backstory? Was it like, were they very Lucasian about it, as in they knew what made Hoffman become Darth Vader, and they wanted to then go back and tell the prequel story of how he became evil? Or was it just the writers going, let's fuck with the audience and make it Hoffman? Nobody will suspect Hoffman. And then the next time they're like, well, shit, now I got to explain this away. I, I think they actually had it planned. And again, it's these movies really have nothing to offer except their big twist endings. And so it, I mean, honestly, I mean, that's what I liked about one is that there was that great twist where Jigsaw was in the room the whole time. He pops up. He's alive. And that's what these movies, every ending is the big twist. And uh, the, the, these movies would have nothing to offer if they were told in a linear fashion. It would be, I don't know, it'd be a pretty lame movie. So I, I think they screwed around with the timeline just so it creates that suspense. Even if you didn't like four, even though you're like, what the hell at the end of four? Dude, I got to see five now because I got to find out what's up with Hoffman. How did how did that happen? It's a big marketing ploy. And you're right. I didn't put together Jill and the box because Jill, Jigsaw's wife, gets this box from Jigsaw. And then she goes to Erickson and says Strom is following her around. And you just I assumed that something in this box told her to do this. See, I did too. And I was really confused because why would Strom follow her around? He suspected Hoffman. But in the last movie, you also saw Strom basically abusing the witness. Yeah, that's what cops do, Arnie. Don't you know that? Bad cop, good cop. No, I just, she came out of left field. Wasn't really an integral part of the story up until this point. In fact, she wasn't even anything more than a bit player until this one. I, I got a question, Arnie. B- before you expounded on some legal insight uh, about murdering people that you had, and so I wanted to see if you had any e- legal insight with this situation. If you're a serial killer and you die and you have a will, isn't that like state evidence or something? I asked the same cops- question. Because don't you think those cops would be taking that and she wouldn't even see what's in there and they might give her some family mementos if they're in there, but they'd be all over that if they were a good police force. That, that's what I figured. <laughs> Possibly. However, oh, we forgot the will. The box was left with the lawyer. For all we know, the lawyer had a tape. Hello, lawyer. <laughs> You have a box and you will give it to this person or your children will be hunted down and slaughtered. You know, we don't know what happened off screen. How many of these tapes is he leaving around, really? I mean, he's put out more tapes than Bin Laden. I don't know. It just seems that all of these different games and blackmails and everything, it's really far-fetched. I think that he spent his entire time stalking people to find out these really weird details. When was he making the damn traps? (laughs) 
Well, that's why you had Hoffman and Amanda. They they were the grunt workers there. So we do find out that the pendulum kill was Hoffman's first kill, and it was vengeance upon the abusive boyfriend of Hoffman's sister who got off after only six months because of a technicality. There's a lot of technicalities that go on in the legal system of this city, too. Drunk drivers get off in six months. Killers of Hoffman's sister get off in six months. Hell, Jigsaw probably would have gotten off before the cancer killed him, and he would have gotten a nice state-paid <laughs> medical insurance. Well, you know he never killed anyone. The people chose to die, so they would have never been able to convict him. And Jigsaw's pissed about Hoffman's inferior work, and so Jigsaw blackmails Hoffman to become Jigsaw's apprentice. Couldn't he just train him and coach him? Seriously, if you have an employee that is lacking in their performance, first you try to train and coach. Well, that's what he did. He was saying use tempered steel and all of that. I thought it was pretty lame that the pendulum guy that was killed killed Hoffman's sister, and that's how Hoffman got into it, and he was ripping off Jigsaw, because I'm sure that he could fabricate something else to find a way to kill this guy. And since police seem to be dirty in this alleged town, couldn't he just find someone to accidentally shoot this guy during a domestic disturbance? Well, I I got a problem with the whole scene once you find out it was Hoffman behind it. Is one, did he just like take a, a jigsaw tape, videotape that they found at another crime scene, and he just uh, overdub it? <laughs> yeah, and, I was wondering how Billy the puppet got there. Yeah, and two, when you have the scene where Strom is listening to the tape, you need to stay in this room. If you leave, it's going to be your death. It's clearly Hoffman's voice. It doesn't sound like jigsaws, but the tape uh, during, uh, I believe his name was Seth, the guy at the beginning. That it's clearly Jigsaw's voice, so he he was able to do a really good dub for that tape. Uh, not so good when he actually hooked up with Jigsaw, though. Yeah, because Costa's Mandalore, just by his own voice, has a bit of a New England accent to him, I think that is. He's Australian. Oh, well, okay, maybe it's an Australian accent, but <laughs> Jigsaw's good middle American killer, so he doesn't have an accent. <laughs> He's in the real America. <laughs> Sarah Lynn Palin's America. Jigsaw. Yeah, Sarah Palin wanted the Jigsaw vote. So what about you, Jacob? Marjorie found it was cheap that Hoffman was blackmailed into being the apprentice. Was that fulfilling for you, the whole reason he was evil? I don't know if anything in these movies have been fulfilling, so I guess I just went along with it. I didn't think too much. It made sense. I mean, it made as... uh, as much sense as anything can make in these movies, so I guess it didn't bother me. But wouldn't it have been better if he exa- he escaped like Amanda and maybe was at the cult of Jigsaw instead of, yeah, hey, I caught you, now you gotta do what I say. But you know what I liked? I really liked Jigsaw's seducing of Hoffman scene because the Emperor could have learned so many things from Jigsaw because when the Emperor is trying to get Luke to give in to the dark side and the Emperor is just not doing it so well Jigsaw's like you're into justice imagine real rehabilitation you don't want those pesky court systems I'm helping you do what you've already done and you'll just do it better I mean it was a great kind of mindfuck rationalization thing now it wouldn't work on any sane person but it worked on Hoffman (laughs) yeah I mean you already saw him go over the edge by killing the guy and so I I I you know, it didn't seem like an illogical step that he would team up with Jigsaw and, and push it further. I, I don't even think he had to be blackmailed too much into it. I think he kind of wanted to do it. Yeah, I like that Jigsaw actually has researched this. He tells Hoffman, there's a 67.5 recidivism rate for this town. <laughs> 
It's like um, he's doing a thesis for his <laughs> trainees. Would you like the pamphlet, How to Be a Jigsaw Killer? See, and that's why it would have been better if he actually survived one of the traps and he was devoted to him like that. He's not devoted like Amanda was. Amanda had this weird, creepy father-daughter devotion crossing the line thing going. Yeah, but, I mean, Costas Mandalore, Hoffman, I mean, he, he had, like, the Punisher thing going for him. Which you know, I I can identify with the Punisher. Uh, your family gets murdered in in Central Park, and you decide to kill every criminal alive. You know, I I could buy into that. I I could see myself going down that path. <laughs> you add some elaborate traps in your jigsaw. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I I already actually did start buying a bunch of bear traps just in case my uh, have you started diorama building? Because that's when I'll get worried. <laughs> Well, come on, Arnie. You know I collect toys, so diorama building is just a small hair of a step away. And we also get to see a flashback of Hoffman and Jigsaw during part three, where Hoffman's like, what's going on with Amanda? And Jigsaw's like making Hoffman the favored child. You have something Amanda doesn't. Anonymity. And tells Hoffman to set up a game that may not be entirely clear to him, but the people being tested are part of something much larger. And this takes us to our our B plot because in all of these movies we have the A plot which is the police investigating Jigsaw and then we have the B plot of somebody undergoing trials and here we have five people in a room all chained at the neck again it's like part two to me these people are connected but they don't know how and but yet they know enough to know that they're all connected and try to figure it out (laughs) again jigsaw's kind of gotten some infamy he's got a damn good pr agent you know part two totally popped in my head and i actually liked this group better than those in part two because they had some smarts to them they you know they had learned they read their newspaper and read about these jigsaw murders and they knew there was going to be some weird twist around. See, that's exactly what makes this fiction, because people don't read newspapers. <laughs> very true. B- but Arnie, you said this was the B-plot, and this was a very, very, very B-plot. Every time they came back to this group, I wrote down, oh yeah, I keep forgetting about that. <laughs> yeah, unlike the first movie, where the main story really was the two guys in the room, and the police kind of felt like the B-plot, it's kind of come full circle. Now, the people in the room are so easily forgotten. It, it seemed like the balance has shifted completely away from this thing, except the movie makers know, hey, every 15 minutes, we need to give some gore. And so let's put five people in. And again, some of them don't even have names. I have them down as brunette, blonde, black chick, bald English guy, and businessman. Dude, but didn't you love the English guy? I really did. Oh, yeah, I, I was would... sad when he died. Yeah, so was I. I was pissed. Like, that guy was badass. Yeah, he was, like, a cool character, and I expected him to go on. Although I knew that the brunette would live, because that actress's name is Julie Benz. And, unfortunately, I was a Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan, and know her as Darla from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. She also showed up in the fourth Rambo movie. And I'm like, oh, they've gotten an actor who's worked before. She must survive to the end. (laughs) Now, did you notice this? There was the return of the diorama. I did. And did you notice, now this is what got me, Hoffman like looks at the screen and then he kind of adjusts some of the characters in the diorama. (laughs) And and 
first thing you ever see that old Clash of the Titan movies where you got the gods and they're like moving the characters around and then they actually get moved around in real life. Yes. I'm, I'm like, man, this is like some weird mashup. Because why is he moving these? Does he want his diorama to reflect? Ah, they're at a 37 degree angle. My character here is at a 27. <laughs> I got to move them a little bit. I. The dioramas drive me crazy. Here's what bothered me with this is these people are in a room and there's no timers going off or anything until they pull a pin out of their neck by going for the keys. If they'd all just stood still, couldn't they have waited it out? I mean, at some point, it aren't couldn't they possibly be found? If I was found chained by the neck and somebody yelled, don't move, there's a pin in the back. I think I'd just stay there for at least a day or two. <laughs> Well, they were forced into movement here because they had the tape that, that told them there was a timer going. When that timer got down to zero, that nail bomb would go off, and that was in each room. So eventually they had to pull the pin. Yeah, and did you notice that the timer, I don't know if either of you ever took photography class in high school or college, but the timer they used was a photography clock. We had those exact timers in all of our photography labs. They had to turn the knob and it would tick it down yeah. so you knew how long to agitate. Uh -huh. So that, that Maybe they stole it from Adam's house, his apartment. <laughs> he was the photographer. <laughs> He just kit did. bashes everything and everybody yeah. he steals. I thought these people were very nondescript and they're, you're right, Arnie, I don't know any of their names other than the, hey, there was a blonde girl, the English guy, the brunette, and I really didn't even care about them at all. No, and when one died immediately, I mean, you, yeah, just, I mean, you saw that coming, but it was a great beheading scene. I liked it because the head stayed put and the body went away. That was, I hadn't seen one like that. And I've seen a lot of decapitations in film. Yes, in film. Wink, wink. <laughs> I really thought that the drug guy would have died the first because he was the most obnoxious. Yeah, I wish he had. He was. I annoying. know. Yeah, he was a little rich kid druggie. And four of them get to their keys and get out. And then they're moving to the second room because each of room has its own trap. And the brunette Darla actually takes one of the keys with her. And they're like, what are you doing? And she goes, being smart. So I guess she's actually seen a Saw movie at this point. <laughs> That, that's what I said. That's why I like this group because they knew they knew kind of what was going on. They knew they were in a jigsaw trap. They knew, you know, they weren't smart enough to actually listen to the clues and the tape and actually work together. But, you know, they, they were at least thinking a little bit. Well, what did you think of how they were all linked together? I thought it was really lame and disinteresting and kind of like, oh, what to do? Because it didn't tie into anything. And for the for the listeners, the way they're all tied in is Darla was a real estate developer and through a series of events caused a drug addict to burn down a building so she could develop and it killed eight people because they were living there and one was the city planner who allowed the permit for the new building. I mean, they were all, and one was a reporter investigating the story. It was threadbare at best. Yeah, it was more contrived than the ending of Saw 4. <laughs> But yeah, I did like the British journalist, and he died very quickly, although I was a bit sad by that, but by the same token, if you're the one in a room with four others, and you just start beating everybody around you randomly, you could see them all teaming up against you. Yeah, I mean, but were, were you guys fooled into thinking that they were all supposed to be selfish and, and do their own thing? Because it, they made it quite clear in the tape that they had to work together. And like when they ran, you know, the second part of this trap they're in, for those who haven't seen this, is they have to find these keys so they can unlock these little, uh, I don't know, uh, foxholes to jump into. 
So when this bomb goes off, they don't die. But it's quite obvious that there's there is room for more than one person. See, that's what I thought too. And I'm like, why didn't someone just say, "Hey, there's room in here. Come in here with me." Even <laughs> though it was not what they're all thinking to do, but Here's my thing is I understood from the very first Jigsaw tape, "Hey, they're all supposed to work together." But that said, when you have your neck being pulled towards a blade, I don't think cooperation is top on your list. I mean, not only is Jigsaw asking them to perform a test, but to go against their survival instinct to help the survival of somebody else, it seems like a worse test than sticking your hand in a vice. Hey, but let me ask you something. So say you're holding someone else's keys. You're trying to get someone into their own house. Like say you got a drunk friend. Don't you try every freaking key just to make sure? So you would think somewhere along the line, someone would say, here, try this key and see if it worked. They didn't have a whole lot of time. But I just got to say, if I ever wake up in a jigsaw trap, I hope I'm not with Arnie because you're a selfish bastard and you're going to get me killed. <laughs> He is. You're absolutely right about that. Well, I'm just saying pure survival instinct. Perhaps in the second trap, I would have said, hey, Jacob, there's some room in this hole. Maybe you'll only lose a foot or two. I, I get the deeper part of the hole. <laughs> <laughs> but in the first trap, I could see it. And yeah, what I loved about the second room is there's the keys in the jars and they're smashing the jars. Did you notice that the keys all had shapes in them? It reminded me of like a two-year-old yes. puzzle shape thing. I have the diamond. I have the cross. But they didn't even look at the locks. They're just like, no shape, no shape. I get why these are not off the shelf locks. Hoffman did some iron working on this. I, I think they should check out the uh, the high, local high school's metal shop class to see if they got some involvement with this thing. Because there's some <laughs> weird tooling going on. That's Saw 6, the school of <laughs> Saw. But then they move into their third room. Now, this is where, again, it bothered me. The bomb goes off in the second room, and they're in their little foxholes, and they're safe. So they go to the third room, and there's three survivors. Can I just say something real quick? I think intestines must be the easiest thing to have <laughs> as a prop, because they always get an intestine in there somehow. Well, after the shot, you boil it, and you have haggis. Well, yeah. <laughs> I guess it's snacks for the crew later. <laughs> These are very low-budget movies, so... Yeah, but, I mean, there's Catering always intestines. provides the gore. No matter what happens, hey, there's some intestines. Always. Got his head cut off, hey, his guts came out, too. So they go into the third room, and there's a bathtub in the middle of the room. And they all start discussing, the three survivors, how they're connected a little bit. And the drug addict finally goes... I'm done talking. Close the door so we can start this. Again, I would wait a hell of a long time Make sure before you got I it actually right. know I'm starting the timer to one of our deaths. Now, before they even said that, I just didn't understand why they just all couldn't each stick a foot in or something and go drag the guy's leg. Because you're an you're an altruistic person, Marjorie. You're not. You're like your husband. I, I'm you're not, not really selfish. Altruistic, but he... <laughs> I'd be the one pushing somebody in the tub. L like the episode of Seinfeld, George Costanza with the fire. Yes, that's yeah. Be because that was the key to the puzzle is that they all dip a toe in and just take a little shock. Yeah. But why did they close the door is what I'm getting at. They knew closing the door would start the timer. Obviously, they could have just left that door open, right? It wasn't like the door sealed itself. The guy actually says, close the door. I want to get this started. Why do you want to start this? <laughs> what is your motivating? Was the conversation so uncomfortable that a nail bomb is preferable? Look, they're budgeted for 90 minutes. Okay, they got to end this film at that 90 minute mark. They got to close the door at some point and get keep things moving along. 
We've got a tight budget here. We can't spend too much on these things. I also wondered why they just didn't go take something and smash the glass with all the nails in it. Because then you just have like the jar lids sitting on top of the bomb, which wouldn't be as catastrophic as the nails flying everywhere. It's very true. And they did seriously. have a big stick from yeah, them too. They did. That's what that seriously because they were smashing all the lights. I wondered why they just didn't smash the glass jars, give themselves a little bit more time. And Darla was so smart taking the key, yeah. but she never thought to take the big stick. No, I would have taken that with me. That's never leaving my side. <laughs> like I said, this 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 plot was so B, I wasn't even thinking when it was going on. I, I would totally forget about it when it wasn't on the screen. I, I'm going to skip ahead to the last room that they go to. There's two survivors. Darla's one of them and the drug addict's the other. And they have to fill this jar with five pints of blood. And this was the second thing in the movie that got to me. The first was the pendulum death with the cuts and the intestines. Now see, that one didn't bother me. This one, they have to stick their hands into saw blades. Why? Because, well, as Jacob said in part three, these movies are called Saw. <laughs> And bleed out. And I'm like, okay, it's bad enough they're mutilating their hand. But these saws went up mid-forearm, and you see the hands coming apart. And the prosthetics, I gotta say, were above average. They looked fairly passable. Although I don't think they were spasming as much as a real hand would be in that much pain. But yeah. that got me. Just You know why it got me? Because it looked like the guy with the lobster hands. <laughs> yeah, this scene, this one made me cringe. This this one was pretty painful to watch. The whole thing was you've got to fill up the, the bottle to 10 pints. If there was all five of them by the end, they'd only have to give up two. But now there's only two survivors left. So they have to give up five pints of blood each, which is half the blood in the human body. They say there's 10 pints average. Can you survive by giving up half of your blood? Are you even able to move? My problem with it is, even if you're able to survive with the five pints, aren't you actually having to give up six because it's splattering all over the place? I mean, I realize you're in a confined container, but it's not like every drop was making it to the beaker. Well, that, and that's my other thing. Even after you fill that thing up to five pints, you've just sawed your arm in half. <laughs> that thing is just going to keep bleeding. It's not like they tied a tourniquet to it to stop it. Blood's still going to be gushing out there. I don't, I don't care how uh, will your blood coagulate when your arm's cut in half. Basically, what I found is you could lose 40% of your blood volume without having to be resuscitated. So, no, you could not give up half your blood and live. No. And it says the body can no longer compensate anything that's below 40. Your body can compensate because there's like all kinds of magic rerouting systems in your body. I mean, at least Jigsaw could have had like a plate of cookies and orange juice that they could be eating as they do this, (laughs) uh, you know, get more blood going. Yeah, but you can't even pump your hand with that little blood pressure pump cuff thing because your hand's cut in half. True. Well, here's the thing. You keep saying this plot is so B. Here's how B this plot is. It doesn't tie into the main plot at all. When the movie ends, you realize these five people went through their test and they were, you know, it was basically the team building exercise from hell. But what did they get? What did this affect? It was Strom or Hoffman or anything. It didn't tie at all. This movie had no twist. No, and that's the thing I noted, that there isn't a twist in this one. It's these people, I don't know, they needed some torture scenes. It was just an explanation to set up Hoffman for six. Well, and the thing was, I don't know if, did Hoffman, well, I guess it shows Hoffman setting up the diorama, so he's involved. Because I I was wondering, maybe this was some Jigsaw puzzle that played out after he died. I'm thinking it is because Jigsaw left that message for Hoffman, or said to Hoffman in part, in the flashback, when Hoffman's like, what's wrong with Amanda? Jigsaw's saying, I need you to set up a game that's not entirely clear to you. 
but I assure you the people being tested are part of something much larger. They're connected, so in the end, all the pieces will fit together and it will be clear. Well, that may be true for those five people, but it didn't fit a damn piece into this movie's plot. No, because the, the whole Hoffman-Strom story is this, this cat and mouse game where they're chasing each other and trying to figure out who's the new Jigsaw, and they their their path never crosses with with this group of five people. I guess it was there so Hoffman could set up Strom as the killer and frame him in the eyes of uh, Detective Stereotype Erickson or whatever his name was. <laughs> I mean, maybe that was the point of this, not that you'd have to see the gore they went through to actually tie that in, but... And that's the closest thing we have to a twist, is that at the end, you know, while Strom is closing in on Hoffman, the whole thing has been Hoffman setting up Strom. With the cell phone! And I didn't quite get what he was trying to do by calling Erickson repeatedly from different places, and then leaving the cell phone in the control room of the Jigsaw Command Center. I'm very confused by that. How do you even get the cell phone? I don't know! Yeah, his phone's there, so he must be guilty. God help us if we are convicting people to death by the where their cell phone is located. And then after the end of plot B, we get to the end of plot A and <laughs> another Star Wars reference. Strom goes into the trash compactor room. and there's <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. And there's a big glass coffin and a tape. And but it had broken glass in the bottom of it, didn't it? Yes, there's that's what broken it was? glass okay. in the coffin. And the tape says something that just made me slap my forehead. Because it says to Strom, have you learned to trust me? The only way out of this room is in this box full of sharp glass. Pain will be incurred. Why the fuck would Strom have learned to trust Jigsaw? Well, yeah, that's that was one of my big problems is Strom has no incentive to trust Jigsaw. He and especially at this point, I believe he Strom believes Hoffman is the new Jigsaw, that he's the killer. So if you believe someone's trying to kill you because you know their secret, why are you going to do what they say? Why are you going to trust them? There's no incentive to trust the guy. And that, it just makes the whole game a moot point because there isn't the whole twist where if you just trusted me, you would have lived. Obviously, Hoffman wants to kill Strom because Strom is on to him. Did you guys ever think that maybe we're not supposed to think this hard about these movies? I, I, I got to say with that last trap, it just should have said, uh, have you seen Superman 2, bitch? <laughs> <laughs> because that's the twist. Superman goes into the crystal case You're right. and everyone thinks he's losing his powers when he's really stealing everyone else's. Did you think it was, I, I had a whole problem with that final scene because I did think it was really cheesy and ridiculous, especially when Hoffman is in the glass coffin and all the blood is spilling on him, but it doesn't even look like blood. It just looks like somebody's cherry juice is dripping all over. <laughs> I, I actually liked it, the way Hoffman, as the walls are closing in and smashing Strom, you kind of see Hoffman, he kind of twists his head so he could get that final shot of seeing him die. And I just, I thought that was kind of sinister and I liked that final shot. No matter how fake the blood looked. <laughs> I did like the bone coming through the arm as he's getting crushed. And, you know, that was kind of cool. Although, you know, those were some pretty big walls. I, I got to wonder if there's anything left. <laughs> and we'll wait and find out maybe in the next movie. But yeah, that, that was the closest thing we had to a t twist is you should trust me even though I forced you to self-tracheotomy. You know, I, I, he's this got like abused woman syndrome. <laughs> 
Yeah, did, didn't you think Strom was uh, like the Danny Glover character, the first one? He had the gruff voice because he had a throat injury and he's working off the clock when he was, wasn't supposed to be. Yeah, I thought that exact thing is it became the obsession. And it was was it a callback or was it just this worked in part one? Let's do it again. I got to say, though, this actor who plays Strom is no Danny Glover. And that says something seriously. He's no Costas Mandalore either. He, he kept reminding me of Will Arnett which probably isn't what? a good thing when you're <laughs> how just the way he looked not how he acted just the, i don't know he kind of had a will arnett look and i kept thinking of arrested development the whole time i saw him I oh, totally... that would have been tremendous if as the walls were closing it played the final countdown i mean that would have been great i don't get that i love will arnett I, I i like the guy too i'm just saying there's a bit of a resemblance in how they look but yeah, there was no twist, there's nothing here, and the final test is lame. And admittedly, Jigsaw did say to Hoffman earlier, if you learn human response, then it's not really a test because you'll know how they'll react. So Jigsaw already knew these people would be self-serving in the test, that they wouldn't work together. And Hoffman knew that there was no way for Strom to trust him. But again, one is more than the other. Trusting your fellow man is something a little bit more reasonable than trusting a guy who you know has already tried to kill you at least twice yeah i thought that was kind of a cop-out with the whole you know if you know human nature you know how these are going to play out well that's the, how they explained how he's able to guess every single little thing that was going to go on i i didn't buy that whole line yeah when jigsaw said if you're good at anticipating the human mind it leaves nothing to chance yet yeah, now he's like an evil yoda <laughs> <laughs> now there was a throwback to the barbed wire scene from the first film they, they kind of check out that crime scene. Do we know how much time has passed between one and five? Because, again, don't they clean up crime scenes in this town? No, they don't. They just leave them. Does it, you know, this whole thing's about evil real estate developers. Don't they want their building back wherever it is that See, has this the thing trap? Is this town has a very high number of abandoned buildings that no one ever, ever checks on. There's no bums going through them or anything. Cause how many movies have you seen where the bum discovers, you know, the dead bodies or whatever? Yeah, there's like, maybe the homeless are scared to be homeless there because they know the jigsaw killer and they'll end up in some trap. So they all migrate to the next town over. All right, so Marjorie, Jacob. Recommend or not recommend, make your choice. I guess if you're going to watch it on its own and why you would pick number five out of one through five to watch all by itself, no. I think I said it last time, you're in for a penny, you're in for a pound. If you're this far, you might as well finish the damn thing off. I think it was the weakest link in the series. I felt that the subplot involving the people wherever they were in some dirty place had nothing to do with anything we've seen so far. And the Strom and Hoffman tension, hostility, attraction, whatever you want to call it. I'm just kind of lost about that and the whole cell phone and how you can use that to pin murders on somebody. Jacob? You know, Saw is like the anti-Star Trek. Star Trek, isn't it? It's always the even ones that are good and it's the odd ones that are bad. And with the Saw films, I liked one. You know, three, I recommended it. Wasn't as good as one. Five, liked it more than two and four. I actually like the whole cat and mouse game between Strom and Hoffman. I, I like that whole chase thing. The beeline didn't do a lot for me, but ultimately there wasn't a lot that was satisfying about this film. So it, it's probably ranks number three if I had to, I rank these things, but I'm, I'm going to go with I do not recommend just way too many plot holes. The whole torture stuff, that's probably the reason why people are seeing these. 
it's such a buried plot line. You totally forget about it when it's not on screen. So nope, don't recommend it. And I'm somewhat similar to Jacob. On the one hand, that B plot was great in that it's the only part of this movie you'll be able to follow if you haven't seen parts two, three, and four at least. Because it is completely self-contained and connected to nothing. That said, it is such a minor part of the movie that the rest of it is very tied in. And it's just unfulfilling. I watched these movies waiting for the twist at the end. The only twist at the end happened to Strom's body as it was getting more and more mangled. There was no twist. The puzzles didn't make a whole lot of sense. The tests didn't feel like good tests. I feel like the jigsaw puzzle needed in this one would be somebody riding a motorcycle over a shark, because that's what this movie did. (laughs) And with that, we'll move on to the last film this year's release, Saw 6. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please go to check our other podcasts in the Saw Retrospective series. Although if you're starting with the Saw 5 podcast, it's kind of like starting with the Saw 5 movie. I don't know why you would, but thank you for listening. But you can find all the other installments of this retrospective series at nowplayingpodcast.com and you can also find our other retrospective series of horror franchises Friday the 13th, Halloween and the House of a Thousand Corpses, Devil's Rejects Duology, as well as the sci-fi series Star Trek and Terminator we'll be back next time for Saw 6 thank you guys Thank you for joining us for this episode of the now-playing Saw Movie Retrospective. Congratulations, you are still alive. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review for us on iTunes, or post about us on Facebook, Twitter, or your social media avenue of choice. You can find more now-playing retrospective series at our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Series include Halloween, Friday the 13th, Star Trek, Terminator, and others. This is the most fun I've had without lubricant. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2009, and is not affiliated with Lionsgate Pictures or Twisted Pictures. Saw and all that the Saw universe contains are copyright and trademark Twisted Pictures, and no infringement is intended. Like, they're the two guys who have this, like, incredible sexual tension, so they take it out on each other by being hostile towards each other. Okay, then. Maybe that's just me. I think they just want <laughs> to That's a different up. type of test. Yes. I, I, I believe that's in the uh, triple X-rated version <laughs> of Saw, where they explore those possibilities. Would they call that Bone Saw? I, I, was, oh. I was trying to think of some witty porn name. I'll, I'll go with Bone Saw. Good one.